A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage. Coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Can you believe that the Yoga Revealed podcast has been thriving for over a year and three months? And that means it's time to reveal the founding members of the team. Today, I'm absolutely ecstatic to bring you a heartwarming and entirely vulnerable episode with my brother, my business partner, and the talented yogi co-creator of the Yoga Revealed podcast, Alec Vishal Rubin. In this in-depth conversation, Alec speaks from his heart on his immersion experience in India, and we also reveal how Alec and I first met and how the Yoga Revealed podcast was born. Everything that we do in yoga is a reflection for how we show up in our daily conversation and our daily thoughts, daily action. Learn to yoga travel with a clear state of mind as Alec shows us a path to love, life, and yoga that you may one day find on this exclusive Founders episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Alec Vishal Rubin. Deepest gratitude to you, Alec. I am absolutely stoked and honored and blessed to be here in your presence on the first morning of your adventure, your trip back here to the States. Mm. You've been on a journey, right? (laughs) But you're back. I am back. (laughs) And the journey has just truly begun. It has re-sparked the the flame of of love life and true gratitude for what it is to be alive and to share this walk of life that we have so gracefully fallen into and this path of yoga that has chosen us. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. I feel you. And I'm just stoked because you've been traveling for the last, what, four months? Six. Six months? <laughs> wow. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun and when you're with yourself. Definitely. And it's also been one year, one year and a few months now of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Because uh, we started on February 7th of 2016, and now we are all the way in April. Wow. Dude. Dude. We've got like 65 hours of inspirational content on the cloud of this crazy thing called the interwebs for (laughs) thousands, hundreds of thousands of yogis to educate, uplift, and inspire themselves so they can go out into the world and keep these ripples going in a positive direction. That is the truth. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yoga Revealed is making it happen, and it's such a blessing to be able to do it with you. It is such a gift for our, not only our, our friendship and our brotherhood to be cultivated, but also the nature of what it is to study the subject of yoga together. It is such a gift to do it with you. Yes, indeed. And I must say that every time that I think about 
the idea of me coming to you and you know asking you to join me in bringing Yoga Reveal to the world. I am so honored and blessed that I made that decision to mm. do so because I feel that your your dedication to yoga and your true embodied practice, not only in the asana practice, but also in the meditation and just the, the true svadhyaya, that self-study is very well rooted in you. And it's an absolute blessing to be able to have someone who is is learning from different teachers, who has a different perspective, and who can still come back to the table and we can have these conversations and share this knowledge together. So <laughs> I bow to you. Yes, I have Thank you. equally namaste as they would <laughs> namaste, say, right? As you would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So where did the journeys begin? Well, well, maybe for those who don't know how Yoga Revealed happened, what, a year, two years ago in Costa Rica? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's when I first Envision. met you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so two years in Costa Rica, I was with my tribe and my partner at the time, and we were on the beach during sunset, and... I was doing some dropbacks, and I see this handsome, dashing young man walking down the beach, and I'm like, I think I know who that is. And I'm coming up from a dropback, and he was like, put his hands to his heart, and he was like, oh, very beautiful, brother. (laughs) And I was like, oh, much love, man. And he walked a few meters over to the right with, at the time, Brother Fish, Mm -hmm. and they were taking photos, and then he yelled at me. He was like, hey, Alec, do you guys want to come take photos? And... You know, Andrew invited me over, we took some photos, we connected, and long story short, I told him, I was like, hey man, I got this awesome mansion house, if you want to come and hang out, feel free, and, you know, think about it, if you're just someone who's coming into someone else's group of friends, you might just come and hang out, but you see, this guy, Andrew Seven Zeely, he comes into a group of 15 people and decides to make a vegan meal for <laughs> everyone (laughs) it just blesses the space with his food and uh, a few months later he comes to boulder colorado he connects he's uh studying acro yoga Mm -hmm. in a lunar form of his therapeutic goodness Mm -hmm. and uh, invites me to start this podcast and uh, things just take off and for me this journey began the six-month journey began last June with Andrew at Hanuman Festival, mm-hmm. where I interviewed Eddie Modestini, and he changed my life. There was one interview, 60 minutes, <laughs> changed my life. I remember it, too. I was there filming with Osmo and listening to what he had to say, and I could immediately see you two's connection, like that, that sense of, like, ooh, like... The teacher has now met the student, and the student has now met the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you hear them say it all the time, like, the teacher reveals himself when the student is ready, and all for the last six years, I was like, that, I'm ready, I'm ready, I want it, I want it, and, and you know, slowly but surely, specific teachers were revealing themselves to me, but not one that, at the time before Eddie, where I was like... This is so, this is my teacher right now. It took six years, and I prayed every day. It's truly, I prayed every day for a master in his trade to come into my life and take me under his wing and to teach me, and as well to be a friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eddie is that and more. And so, how did you know? immediately that he was your teacher what aspects about him drew you towards his teachings i think it was just not to say that all these other people we've have we've interviewed are not authentic because they absolutely are that's one of the reasons why they're on the podcast there was just a level i forgot i was recording with him mm-hmm. I, I forgot the mic was on if you go back you guys and you listen to that podcast there's a point in time when there were tears in my eyes which you can't see and I just, I fell in love with Eddie. Mm. And I told him after the recording, I was like, first thing I said, when and where mm. are you studying? When and where is your next training? And he was like, Maui, October. I was like, I'm there. 
his eyebrows furled and he was like, yeah, okay, dude, I've heard it before, hmm. you know, and I was there. It was just this level of intuitive connection that he's been through a lot of suffering. He came to yoga to heal two slip discs in his back and yoga heals him. Yoga healed him. And, you know, one of the last few things he told me when I just came back from Maui, spending time with him, and he was like, Alec, you need to try to remove what word is before yoga. It's all yoga, man. Hmm. And yoga is simply reminding us of the soul that is in us, the divinity that is innately within us, because it's quite easy for us humans in our condition to forget that we are of this divinity and we are of this soulful nature. So it is helping us discern what is of soul and what is not of soul in our lives. And I just seek out the best teachers that I can possibly study with. And Eddie helped me start and gratefully finish this six month journey. Wow. That's pretty epic that you started with Eddie and then you ended with Eddie. Yeah. So you got to tell me, um, in studying with the master and studying with someone who you revere as very well self-practiced and also realized, how do they, as a guru, in a sense, shed light upon you? I don't think Eddie would ever call himself a master or a guru, but <laughs> I, I definitely see him in that holy light. Mm-hmm. Um, he sheds light and illuminates my blind spots. I was living in India, in Bangalore, southern India, with him. We were studying from a man named Arun, who was one of BKS Angar's senior students of like 50 years. He's also on the podcast, my friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the first days I just told Eddie, I was like, Eddie, I'm here to get my ass kicked and <laughs> change my life. I'm here to take the crystal ball and shake everything up, tear my foundations down, change. I, I, I'm wanting to I feel this innate change within me and I need to. Something needs to be the catalyst, and I think this trip is it. Tell me all my blind spots. And later, I was like, why did I do that? (laughs) I felt like Eddie was holding a full-body-scaled mirror in front of me 24-7 for two and a half months, and I was butt-naked, and the mirror pierced me to the depths of my soul. And uh, I didn't like what I saw at times, Hmm. but... In that whole light, I sought comfort in my discomfort. Mm. You know? He, like all true teachers, will illuminate what we can't see. Mm. And they just help us see our blind spots. You know, there's this innate care for their well, for your well-being. But it's beyond just you. It's beyond them. It's like these great teachers are in it for the collective and the greater good, the greater betterment of humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the nature of yoga. We're coming back to where we originally came from. And this it's this love vibration. It is this, you know, high quality amount of presence that is of total divinity as as woo woo and cheesy as it could sound there's so much validity in where where we come from hmm. beyond you know our our physical form you know beyond who andrew seven Seely is and who beyond who alec vishal rubin is and beyond beyond who you are you know there's something that weaves us all together and i think that is what a good teacher illuminates and reminds Mm. us of. Very, very, very true. Yes, I feel that. In studying in India with Eddie and with Arun, what were some of your practices on a day-to-day basis? Kind of give our audience a view into, you know, Mm. you waking up and actually going to practice. 
Well, waking up was definitely part of it. I woke up at 4 a.m. every day for two and a half months, mm-hmm. and you know it was awesome. Sadly, didn't get to see the sunrise every morning because in Bangalore it's um, pretty foggy, and by foggy I mean dirty. Smoggy. It's smoggy. <laughs> <laughs> so we woke up at 4 a.m. and I would eat three bananas. Little babe bananas. Mm-hmm. And we would take a 30 minute rickshaw to the Shala Prashant Yoga Shraya where we would set up four blankets, two blocks, straps, and we would wait for a room to walk in. And it would be a three hour practice in the morning and a three hour practice at night with Yoga Sutras in the afternoon. So we learned. I was able to retain the first 22 Yoga Sutras where she was trying to teach us the entire first Pada, which was really hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was really challenging. So did you learn it through recitation? Were you just mm-hmm. reciting it day to day? Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I retained the first 22, and uh, I love them so much. I look forward to continuing them. I still have the first Pada recorded on my my phone from our our... Our yoga, our yoga teacher guru. And yeah, this practice was very different. So in Iyengar yoga, you know, there's a lot of talking by the teacher. I don't know if any of you guys have ever studied Iyengar yoga, but there's a lot of talking, a lot of directional alignment and cueing. Arun definitely took on that alignment and the cueing, but he doesn't talk as much. Sometimes we'd be holding poses with the support of a bolster, a blanket, a block, a strap, or the rope wall for upscale, or a chair, for upscale 5 to 25 minutes. Wow, just one posture. Yeah. Wow. So it gets intense. And the key would be to release Ujjayi breath and to just watch the natural flow of breath trickle out through the nose while you seek comfort in your discomfort while maintaining full integrity of the pose. So whether it is, you know, keeping your elbows strong, keeping your knees lifted, keeping your spine extended and long, whatever the posture is entailing, to keep that state of integrity on the, on the, on the prop for a very long period of time. And that cultivates a very intimate relationship with the pose. Like, we held Parvita Janushirsasana like a a one-legged forward fold, but twisting Mm -hmm. on a chair where your occiput is on the edge of a chair and you're holding on to the sides of the legs of the chair for, like, 14 minutes one side. And so you come out and you're just like, Eddie and I looked at each other, we're like, Oh my god. (laughs) And, you know, we would take uh, just different... It was very different, you know? Arun would teach Shavasana as, like... Just, uh, it's hard to explain, but it'd be like... Jadrashir Shavasana forward folding on three bolsters. That was Shavasana. Wow. It was very different. Iyengar was interesting, you know? He was a hard teacher. And only a few students did he ever tell... Take my work and explore. He told that to Arun, and Arun took that to heart. And Arun explored. Arun explores. He has a his like his whole thing is called experiment and explore. Mm. And uh, that's what we're doing. You know, it's like we can get stuck so easily in one form of practice. I once thought that wow. Power Vinyasa was my thing, and like, this is it, yes. And then I found Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, and I was like, oh my god, this is like what I'm gonna do. And I did for three and a half years. And now I'm like, wow, this is great. But I have a recognition that things change. Mm hmm. And I think that is the recognition that yoga is completely an evolution of not only your being, but the whole interconnectedness of every being. Mm you know and i think that's just like a, a validity mm-hmm. of that statement you know is mm-hmm. that hey your yoga may be ashtanga today could be power vinyasa tomorrow and an integrated practice of yin yoga next week you know it's like be open yeah be open and so being in india i was i really had to be open i had to be open after a 3 hour practice we would walk down the street and get a dosa 
I love me dosa. I had dosa every morning for two and a half months. You're a dosa man. I was dosa land for sure. And then we would head back home and take a nap, hang out with Eddie, and just gain reflection from Eddie. And we'd go shopping sometimes. We'd make our own veggies. That was bomb. Mm-hmm. But so if y'all could imagine, like you know, India's. It's it's a it's a dirty place. Yeah, it's 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 intense. We'd go to the food market and we'd buy some cauliflower. I would have to take off every little stalk. I'm talking like the hair of the stalk on the cauliflower because there would I would count upscale twenty five worms in mm-hmm. in there and we'd have to boil it and you know that was just like the process that went into making dinner. Everything required greater patience. Everything requires greater patience in India. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we'd go back for evening class, and we'd have dinner, and we'd do it again. And next thing I knew, two months had went by, and my uh, practice completely shifted. And was this just in your physical practice, or also in your mental capacity and your meditation as well? Also in my mental capacity, I was much more patient just with myself, and it was be the beginning of where I sit, where I am now, you know, I mean, seven months ago, I could notice in myself right now, I had a lot of impatience with just mundane actions and time, you know, like last night I was waiting 30 minutes for my Uber driver at the airport and I was just doing walking meditation in the airport, like whatever. It's totally cool. Mm-hmm. I am in no rush. Rushing is a disease. Mm. It is the disease of the mind. And I have plagued myself of rushing in anxiety for 25 years. And as I move forward into this 26 spin around the sun, I, it is going to be something I will transcend and I will gain an awareness of and a mindfulness of to be patient. Yeah. Patience is a virtue. It is. <laughs> it's definitely one of my life lessons mm. in this lifetime. And uh, yeah, you know, the mental capacity to be open was greatly tested in India. And open to what? India is a cacophony of sights, sounds, and smells. (laughs) There is a relentless amount of dogs barking 24-7. Horns honking. There are horns honking (laughs) at all octaves of sound. That can pierce any level of what one thinks they have as true patience mm-hmm. when they're there for an extended amount of time, especially. And I was irritated. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there were times I, I had I had many tests mm-hmm. by the universe, and I definitely failed some of them. <laughs> for sure. But, you know... The tests would always re-reveal themselves, and I had another opportunity to be sweet, to be soft, to not be a jerk, and to be open. When you're trying to communicate with someone who speaks no English, and these, you know, uh, hand gestures of like a thumbs up, thumbs down, or like a cut across the throat, like no can't do, that means nothing to them. Hmm. There's a language of no words... And it is the language of the universe. And uh, it's a language of eyesight. It's a language of body language to some extent. A yeah, little head bubble. Head bubble. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta learn it. <laughs> you know, I, I just traveling the world and starting with India. Once I was in, in India for two months, all the other countries I went to was, were easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could definitely see that being true. I, I, just in my experience in being in India, like the amount of communication that is nonverbal mm. is so vast there. And people are very spoken with their body language. Mm. And I honestly feel that it's almost like an intuitive, natural telepathy in a sense. Like there's mm. a very clear um, connection that people have there in not having to say anything. Of just giving you a look to know that they're going first or that you should go first yeah. or, you know, it's just, it's pretty simple there. And I really enjoyed that in my time spent. Especially in the driving. 
<laughs> and thank God that we're not actually having to drive there. It would be game over. <laughs> that that would be a, a test in itself. It is. <laughs> so tell me about one of your most memorable transformative experiences in India. Mm. This trip around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay, so after two and a half, two months of being with Arun and Eddie, I flew to New Delhi to be with my mother and my mom's side of the family. My mom moved from India with her parents and her sister when she was five. And uh, we met up with my nani, who's my mom's mom, and my nana, who's my mom's dad, and my mom's mom's brother and sister. And we went north to different cities from Chandigarh to the Kasuli Hills to Dehradun to Haridwar to Rishikesh. And in Rishikesh, I bathed in the Ganges water, as many people do. And what was so special about it, besides it being like 6.30 in the morning and absolutely sub-zero temperatures. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I was in the water... With my mom, with my nani, with my grandmother's brother, and my nana. And the sun was shining just through this tiny little crevice in between the walls of the building. And it was just hitting me. And I had never felt more spiritually connected to the water element, despite being meters under the sea or being in an amazing sacred waterfall across the world I felt more embodied as like an awakening Pisces and I felt I felt water for the first time in my life temperature completely disappeared it was no longer an issue Hmm. and I don't know, man. It was just, I, as I walked in, I felt the millions of footsteps that have walked in under my feet before me and the millions of people that will walk after me. It was such a special experience that I will cherish for the rest of my life because I, I probably won't get another opportunity to return to India with my grandparents mm-hmm. there at that point in time. And so I'm at Haridwar and I'm in the Ganges and... I'm by myself at this point with my family walk, watching afar and I just go into the water with hundreds of other Indians around and I feel a part of the culture unlike I've ever been a part of it before. And I open my eyes and this 100 foot Shiva is just staring at me. Hmm. And I like take him in. It's said that when the apocalypse comes in the world, that the the point of Shiva's Shastra represents Haridwar and Varnasi, these places where humanity will come and they'll be the only places that is untouched by the apocalypse. Mm. And Shiva's third eye will become red, bloodshot. And I just felt, for the first time in my life, an awakening energy in the center of my forehead when I put my face into the water. It was like I could see under the water, but my eyes were closed. It was powerful, and it was an intense energy. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy intensity, and it's all forms of lightning, of water, of dust and wind and just things that would might you know stir everything up i just like stir things up and <laughs> shake my ground man and uh, yeah so that for me the the bathing in the ganges was one of the most transformational experiences that i had in india wow that sounds like the energy of the water definitely connected with you and that was like the stream of consciousness just poured into you. Mm. Mm, that's a pretty epic. <laughs> so after you studied in India, what were your next trips and what did you do? What was so your I, process? I rewarded myself. I, I told myself, yeah, I, 
I really, I was teaching. I've been teaching for five years, and, you know, I was on the grind of teaching daily, and then I got stuck. I got stuck. I was just doing the thing. And it was, I, I felt stagnant. Mm-hmm. So I met Eddie, and then went to India. I went to Maui to study with him, and then went to India with Eddie. And after those three months of daily practice of nine to ten hour study hours contact hours with some teacher I was like (laughs) I felt completely broken Mm. (laughs) but like I mean just the foundations of my house was totally broken and I had to rebuild which is a beautiful thing it really was and and how so was it broken like what do you mean everything that I thought I knew in my yoga practice I had to wash my hands of and start over Eddie would tell me quite often, he was like, man, Alec, I got to put some reins on your mouth and pull you back. We got to unwind some things. Eddie would tell me that I learned so much so quickly and I have this extreme, profound capability in my body to embody almost any posture I want without proper integrity. And he would for instance, he would say, okay, Ekapadish Shasana, go, go put your foot behind your head. And I would do it, and then halfway before doing it, he'd be like, no, no, no. It's <laughs> not how you do it. And I was just like, and my heart would drop, and, you know, I would get hot and sweaty. He'd be like, like this. And I'd be like, oh. And it would, it, it was profound. Just the smallest things. You know, even in Virabhadrasana 1, Warrior 1, mm-hmm. you know, he would just fix me up in Trigonasana, Triangle Pose. He would fix me up in what I thought I knew. And, you know, it's uh, it was just very different. And why do you feel that the alignment is so valid and so important in the yoga practice? The alignment... Well, not only does, you know, we've heard it like one size fits all. I kind of disagree with that. Yoga fits all. Yoga can fit all. But what's going to work for your body and what's going to work for my body are going to be completely different. You know, we might be, yes, you know, externally rotating this thigh, that thigh. But the level of bend and the level of maybe prop usage will be different because you're a taller person than I am, perhaps, or you have more tighter shoulders than I do, and maybe you have more core strength than I do. So it's like there's so many little facets to pay pay attention to. The alignment in the body, when we awaken it to a certain degree of integrity, reveals the energy of the pose. There's a energy to all these postures and when we awaken the alignment to the pose and we hold the pose with softness and we seek comfort inside any discomfort of the pose man that's when we can develop a profound relationship with the posture unlike what we might have known before whether it is a familiar posture or not i thought i knew triangle pose and now I'm like, wow, give me a chair, because I need a chair for Tripanasana. Mm. I'll show you later. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners who are not super familiar with Iyengar yoga, how do the props take into effect, and are they really a key to finding greater alignment in the posture? I do think so, yes. You know, I, we had heard, I'd heard one person say, oh, I don't need a prop, that makes it easier, and like, if you knew Iyengar, he would not <laughs> give you a prop to make it easier. The prop makes it harder. And it, you're using the prop almost at a point of resistance. And you're finding this boundary and you're playing within the boundary of, of your flexibility, of your tightness. Eddie and Arun would yell at me. They would say... Alec, you must learn to control your flexibility. (laughs) And he would say it over and over and over until it was like embedded in me when I was in the pose by myself. Like, I must learn to control my flexibility. I must learn to find my boundaries, which truly for me is a direct reflection of my boundaries in life. 
my integrity to say yes or my integrity to say no to speak with great conviction it, everything that we do in yoga is a reflection for how we show up in the in our daily conversation and our daily thoughts our daily action completely is mm-hmm. I very much so agree with that they say how you do anything is how you do everything yes and I feel that our practice of yoga is probably one of the most profound ways that we can mm. integrate how we practice in our bodies with how we live our lives. Mm, amen. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I feel, I mean, I've only practiced um, maybe four full classes of Iyengar yoga, mm. um, two of which were, you know, those classes that we took with Mati. Yeah. And then another two that I've taken um, with a teacher, Lisa Walford, I believe is her name. Cool. Over here in uh, San Santa Monica area. And both classes, both teachers were so well versed in cueing. Mm. It's on another level. <laughs> and and I, I feel that the, the Iyengar lineage, they do a really great job of breaking down exactly how your body moves through space. Totally. For me, (laughs) this was the first Iyengar glass I ever took. Eddie had learned that when we were in Indy. He was like, wait, you've never taken an Iyengar class? (laughs) And he just laughed at me. He was (laughs) like, oh boy, (laughs) you are in in for it. it. That's awesome. That awesome. Dude. So having Eddie there, was it like not only having a teacher, but also having a friend considering you guys were practicing f- together? Yeah, we were students together. Mm-hmm. You know, it was intense because this is someone who's 64 years old and has been practicing for 40 plus, 45 plus years. Wow. Was a dedicated student to Iyengar and Patabi Joyce. And... Yeah, it was really intense, you know? He doesn't mess around, but, you know, he's he's set in his ways of being a student, knowing how to be a good student, knowing how to be a good teacher. Eddie taught some of, well, a lot of the teachers that you and I have already interviewed. Yeah, I know that he taught Sean Korn. Shiva and Brian Kest and just so many people. He was part of the old guard. Hmm, what is the old guard? The old guard is like the... If you go to YouTube and you type in Patabi Joyce, Encinitas, Primary Series, Eddie was not in those videos, but he was in Mysore with all of those guys. And Mysore, India is where Patabi Joyce's Shala is and where he taught many years ago. And So that's like David Swinson, yep. Richard Freeman... Yep. Um, That's the old guard. Yeah, all the, the, the old Eddie's school. homies with those guys, so I was practically living <laughs> with one of those guys. And it was intense, but it was beautiful. And it was everything that I've wanted out of yoga right now in the past few years manifested. Hmm. How would you say that this experience has shaped your teaching? Oh, boy. <laughs> well... Because, I mean, like you're, you're going to go back to teaching at some point in time, at right? At some point in time. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, when I was in, in March, so I left India in late January, went through Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Myanmar over the course of the next three and a half months. And in March, I was so blessed to be invited to a festival in Cambodia, on in the southern island of Koh Rong called Free Flow. Mm-hmm. And it was a fire spinning festival. And I was like, well, I can't really, I don't know how to, I don't know how to spin fire. And then a part of me was like, Alec, you got a burning man. You gotta <laughs> know how to spin fire. But I was like, I don't know, I'm not cool enough. I, it's just like not my thing. I don't want to spin fire. There's nothing for me to spin. They invited me to teach yoga. I was like, I can go there and teach yoga. And so I teach yoga and they're like, how long do you need? I was like, I need 10 days. That's how long the festival is. I want 10 days and I want two and a half hours every class. Wow. Yeah. We dropped in. And uh, first day, I had 25 people. The next day, I had 45 people. And then it was between 25 and 45 people that were coming to class. 
We didn't use the yoga mats because there wasn't enough. Oh, couldn't use wow. chairs because there wasn't enough. Couldn't use blankets. Couldn't use straps. I couldn't use anything. I had to use their bodies and I could use the wall. The wall is one of the greatest props. And I told everyone, I, the first day I was like, my friends, if you want to receive the most out of what I can share with you, I implore you to come every day of these 10 days. My teaching has gotten extremely intense in the regards where in my class, you will not up level. You will not do your own thing. If you want to do that, I respect it, but you won't do it in my class. It's like, it's not what you're there what to happens? do. What happens? <laughs> you just kicking people out? No, I won't kick people out, <laughs> but I'm going to speak and I'm going to, it's like, I'm going to, that'll be one of the first few things I say. And it's like, what kind of person are you to, to hear that and just say, I do what I want. Mm-hmm. That just shows who you are. Yeah. That's a reflection class on you. Coming class with the ego. That's yes. a reflection onto you. And you can project onto me. I'll receive that as your teacher and watch it, wash it off. Not as your teacher. I, and that's the thing. I don't, I don't feel like I've put the time in to call myself a teacher when my teachers are like 45 years in practice. Now, that's not to say that we all don't have something to teach. I strongly believe that and something to offer the world. But the light of like yoga teacher, I just, it's a really sensitive and strong topic for me. Mm. And uh, I, I'm so passionate to call myself a student of yoga. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm sharing my practice when I go in to teach a class. And so my teaching has gotten very slow. Mm. I will teach vinyasa. I will, because vinyasa, I think, is how beginners need to learn. We need to learn how to wake up the breath. We need to learn how to, what is this flesh? And where is my hand in space and time? And how do I synchronize my breath with the movement of my arms as they reach above my head? Wow, that's harder than I thought. You know, teaching that is important. Mm -hmm. But I also find now that mixing that with a stillness in the pose, like holding Uttanasana, holding standing forward fold for a minute with a little bit of support under your hands, perhaps, that's hard for a beginner and for an advanced practitioner. I was holding Uttanasana for five minutes. And you got to lift those kneecaps like it's your job. (laughs) And it is hard. Standing in the fire. (laughs) Yeah, it is hard. So, you know, I I am challenging those who come to my class to, yeah, we'll move and I get them into our breaths. But probably like at this point in time, I'm flowing for like maybe five to ten minutes and then holding poses for 25 minutes and then a little more breath to movement to get us back into the breath because when we're holding poses, breath can get just trapped in the chest and you got to wake it back up. And towards the end, it's it's a amount of stillness. We're taking 25-minute shavasanas. So there's amazing this amazing book called Ganesha Goes to Lunch and I would read to the students in shavasana. And it's just about the myths and it's nice to keep your mind their minds present with something in a storyline while laying still and then I let him be for five to ten minutes. It was a nice long shavasana and I also had two and a half hours. Had the time. So I don't know what my teaching will look like in a 60 minute class or a 75 minute class. I honestly never want to teach a 60 minute class ever again because it's just not enough time. I think it's ridiculous. I completely agree with you. I actually, so my classes that I teach over at Aloe have now all been at least 75 minutes because I just feel that after even doing 60 minutes of asana, you need at least 10 minutes of shavasana. It's like, I feel like I'm almost doing people a disservice if I'm just, you know, leaving them all sweaty and, okay, see you guys Go later. Go the world. Yeah, so <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, the the yoga is now speaking to me in the sense that I know in my practice when I finish a 60 minute class that I want an actual true shavasana and the the classes that I go to nowadays are 90 minutes and I just I don't see a real reason in just you know going hard for 60 minutes and then not having a shavasana yeah totally like you need that reintegration completely agree definitely (laughs) So, 
now that we've heard your trip to India and a little bit of your trip to Southeast Asia, how do you feel that you'll integrate your teachings now into your your being back here in lovely United States? Mm, <laughs> well, my time here is short. Oh, what, what's the next travel, huh? <laughs> Where are you going next? Well, uh, I will be in Boulder for late April, May, and June during which time I will be receiving shoulder surgery to heal my labrum of the left shoulder. Uh, I tore my labrum snowboarding last year, and for the longevity of my practice, my career, my teaching, my life, I'm excited. I'm humbled to receive this modality of healing and to get soft and quiet and, and, and mindful in my actions that I've learned over the last six months, put it to the test in the surgery healing process. Then in July, I'll return to Maui to study with Eddie for a full month, which I'm so excited for. Then I'll come back to America, to the States in August, go to symbiosis, and then slowly after that, we'll see if Burning Man's on the docket. I will hop on a plane and move to London for a year. <laughs> Whoa. That's crazy. What are you doing in London? Well, <laughs> when I was traveling, I read The Alchemist, and it changed my life. For the first time. For the first time. For the listeners who are listening, what is The Alchemist and how to change your life? The Alchemist is this profound book. You could read it in two days, if not less. Easy read for a fourth grader. But contains this source code of consciousness to see how the universe works inside us and outside us. And it essentially showed me how to wake up to seeing omens, to guiding me along my path in pursuit of my personal legend. And what is your personal legend? What's your path? What's your purpose on this planet? What are you here to do? Questions that have run their face across my field of awareness for years. And uh, over the last six years, all I knew is that it has to do with yoga. And uh, in India, it was interesting. I was studying with these kids in Arun Shala, who were my age, our age, 25 to 35. And all of them had their PhD and master's in yoga. And I thought that was really cool. All of them? All of them. Wow. Not a single kid that was my age or your age did not have his master's or PhD in yoga. And I thought that was really cool. I respected that a lot. And I took it as an omen. I was like, well, I'll look into it. I found a ton of universities in India, but truth be told, I don't want to live in India for four years. I don't. And uh, I kept looking around. I found two universities in America, but to me, they were just a little rudimentary towards the training that I've received over the last six years. So I was like, I need to keep looking elsewhere. And I found this university in London, which is practically Oxford's sister school called SOAS University, S-O-A-S, in London, an Asians and African studies school. And I applied for master's degree in the traditions of yoga and meditation in Sanskrit and got accepted. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And so I'm going to London September 2017 till September 2018 and I will attend classes. I will study. Hopefully I'll teach and even more. We'll bring Andrew Seven Seely over there. Mm -hmm. He'll teach, and we'll romp around in Europe for a weekend or two. Yes, definitely. And yeah, I'm. I that is what is up next for me. So, my integration of Asia is just a catalyst in the next trip. <laughs> Dude, that sounds epic. <laughs> yeah. The adventure Life continues. Life is epic. The adventure continues. It does. It never yoga will stops. reveal itself in Europe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this program was it recommended by anyone, or you just did some research and you find that the teachers there 
are not only reputable but also very well studied? Very well studied in the theoretical and the philosophical aspects of yoga in all the texts, in the ancient religions, in the in the in the yogic uh, um, understandings of Tibet, of Nepal, of India, of the world, of the modern world, of how everything has come together as what we know it as today. I just was I was looking up on the Google machine, you know, Google Guru is so powerful. I was like yoga PhD, yoga masters in the world. You know, I'm so blessed in with with my mother to help me travel the world to go to London and receive an education. I give thanks. I couldn't do it without her. And mm. you know, in my humility and my humbleness, I give that to her because she provides the platform for me to receive an education. And I'm so gifted with that. I'm so blessed with that. And I recognize that that's not something that everyone everyone has, you know. So it's, it's the Google guru that helped me find SOAS University. And it's my mother who has helped me get over there to study. And why do you feel that it's so important to continue your studies of yoga? And, I mean, you could just say, you know, right now you have enough information from Eddie and Arun and, you know, people like Richard Freeman who you've been studying with for upwards of three years. It's like, you have all this information, why get more? <laughs> we can never know enough. There's a Yoga Sutra um, that says, when you think you know look again when you think you know check again so my senior year of college i had a thesis and my title was my title thesis was the ancient spiritual traditions of yoga collide with a capitalist economy and i had to present it in front of a board and one of my best my best friend kiefer put me on the spot and asked a question during the q a he was like how will you take this and what do you think the most important yamas and niyamas are to integrate into modern society? Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go? What are you going to do? And I was like, if I had to choose one to focus on for like, you know, the rest of my life right now in, in light of yoga would be Svadhyaya. It would be self-study because, gosh, it is. Ask yourself, are you not evolving are you, are you changing? Are you growing every day? And if your answer is no, well, then I would say, well, what can you do to maybe put yourself out in the field of change? And if you are, if you said yes, then you're most definitely learning. So why not keep chasing the, le the study? Chase the learning. Chase what fills you up. And for me, what fills me up is learning new forms, practices, and methods and insights of yoga, which comes from not only a daily practice, but also I find connection with someone who knows more than you, <laughs> put it quite frankly, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, keeps us humble and keeps us excited because we look up to this person. If you have someone you look up to, tell them. I think it's nice. And you know, Eddie, he just, every time I try to give him a compliment or something and take it, he's just like, yeah, it's not me, dude. You know, he's such a channel. He's such a, he, 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 he's so humbled and so beautiful. So I find that, yeah, I'm just so deeply interested in continuing to study, especially that, you know, I, I haven't spent a year in the books of yoga. I've read on my own. But it's like I've read parts of the Upanishads and it's kind of, it's hard. It's hard to decipher. You know, I've, I've read parts of the Gita and yeah, hard to decipher for me. I find that personally, I am slow at learning. I'm very slow at learning. I was very behind in school and it was extremely challenging. I mega loathed school and I was like, I am never going back to school. That with a capital bold lettering, because that's not <laughs> happening ever again. And uh, look at me now. <laughs> that's changed. I'm going to yoga college, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it's all finding your passion. 
And through that passion, you then have that fire of desire to be able to learn that knowledge. Mm. I think that a lot of people go through life and they don't really find their passion. Mm. Therefore, there's no real want to Mm. learn anything more. Mm. So that complacency um, sets in. But with you, your fire of desire is yoga. Mm. And just like me, it's like, there's never enough to learn about yoga. Never. The the path of yoga continues, and through that self-study, not only are you exploring yourself, but you're exploring how your existence on this earth is affecting every existence on this earth. And I think that that is the, the key to the evolution, not only as man or of self, but also of the evolution of the creative consciousness. Yes. Aho. That's amazing. <laughs> Yes, I agree. So we as yogis must continue. (laughs) So with this being kind of like the conclusion, I I want to ask what would be one golden nugget that you can leave with our Yoga Revealed listeners here today? Hmm. Six months ago, I learned a bandha that changed my life. You can do it right now. It's not Mulabanda, it's not Uriyanda Banda, and it's not Jalandara Banda. It is it was developed by a man named Shandor Rimate, who is very old, still alive. He teaches what is called shadow yoga. And it involves the tongue. It's called Jiva Banda. It is the loop of the soul, in translation. And the tip of the tongue, so softly comes to the top of the front two teeth where it meets the enamel of the gum where the air element is and you lightly I'm talking lightly apply pressure in waking day in asana in meditation and it tantalizes your your six senses it, it, it is an amazing practice to just drop into and it's something that has informed my presence, my awareness, my level of energy in the past six months. Not only does it soften the stress that builds up in the jawline, but it separates the teeth from one another, softening the mandible, the sides of your jawbone. It's an awesome banda, and uh, I use it constantly. And so that's my golden nugget because it has helped me in stressful situations. It has helped me in situations where I need to demand focus. It's sweet. So may that serve you. Hmm. And go read The Alchemist. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Alec. It's been an absolute honor to have you here just so vulnerably indulging indulging (laughs) so vulnerably diving deep into your experience of india Mm. andrew i love you thank you so much for your friendship your brotherhood your constant support in the choices that i make as your brother as your business partner as a fellow yogi on this path your presence in my life has enriched who i am as a human being and I am so grateful for you. It's an absolute honor. And to our Yoga Revealed listeners, we both bow to you for all the love that you have provided to us. We have received a message from you, and we listen. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. You can learn more about Alec Vishal Rubin at lovelifeyoga.com. There you will find his upcoming classes and worldwide workshop adventures. Also make sure to check out his Instagram for raw inspiration on the daily. We thank you for tuning into this Founders episode of the Yoga Reveal podcast. Until next time, yogis, live light, shine bright. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.